All right, everybody doing okay? Great, great. It's good to hear. Uh, so my name's Gabe. I am one of the guys helping to lead the church, and uh, I have not been preaching for really like the past three and a half weeks. Um, so you guys are in for a long sermon. Get ready. I've not preached, and I'm ready to preach, and here we go. So um, before we get started, I have been gone. Uh, typically for the month of June, I try to take uh, four consecutive weeks off. Um, just a couple reasons for that from preaching, not from like work. But um, one, like some of our core values, we want to multiply young leaders. We want to start churches that start churches. And so uh, part of that is giving other men opportunity to preach in the pulpit uh, or this, this glorious, huge pulpit that we have. So Dylan, a couple weeks ago, preached his first sermon, um, which was fantastic. You should go listen to it online. Um, you, you still don't think you did good? I haven't listened to it yet. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, so Dylan filled in. Ricky, which I think just walked in. Uh, yeah, Ricky covered, and then Carlton covered, which it's just great that we have a bunch of guys that can preach, um, and as we're raising up this next generation. But then the other part is just the plurality of leadership, that this is never designed to be just like the Gabe Dodd show, and you guys come because I'm fantastic, and I look really good, and you just want to hear me and see me. Um, I know all those things are true, but that's what like we're trying to fight against, this whole celebrity culture of like, Gabe's so great. Like, yes, I am, but like, let's, I'm just kidding. But seriously, we want to, we don't want this to be just about the lead pastor, because one of these days I'm going to die, or something's going to happen, and we don't want the church to cease to exist. Um, happy Father's Day. Yeah. God, my kids aren't in here, right? Like, dad's going to die? What? Um, so that being said, I'm grateful for that, but I am excited to be back. Um, I, I love the summers here that I get a chance to take a couple weeks off. Um, we did go to the beach and we went camping, uh, but then also just the smaller setup, if this is like your first or second time, um, really, if you, if you haven't been here during the school year, we probably have like 80 more college students. We have the pagans that aren't at the beach or, or the pool right now that are actually here. Um, we meet in the gym, but this is just a smaller setup. It's just a little bit more intimate, but then we also changed the subject. So um, we've been going for the past two years just preaching through the book of Luke, um, but this summer we've stopped just to cover the Celebrations of Discipline, um, which is just kind of an ironic title, right? Like Celebrations of Discipline, um, which this morning, I didn't think I was going to tell this, but I've just got to share this. It's too great. Um, so there's a book called Celebrations of Discipline that we're basing some of this roughly around. And so I was going this morning to put the book back on my bookshelf, caught my youngest daughter, Carol Lee, like playing in the shower, which you know she's not supposed to. Um, so I spanked her with the book called Celebration of Discipline, which is just hilarious to me. It just, the moment just wafted over me. I mean, um, she didn't cry. She just stared at me with that defiant stare that a fourth child always has. And um, then I came here. So um, what we're trying to do here throughout the series is going through 11 different disciplines um, that would benefit our scripture or benefit our Christian life as believers. Because as much as we hate to admit it, we all know that discipline leads to freedom, right? Now, Ricky really outlined that for us a couple of weeks ago, um, that if you're disciplined with your finances, then you're going to have the freedom of retirement. If you're disciplined with your health, you're going to have the freedom of a longer life. That more discipline comes with more freedom. So we kind of walk into this, oh, no, no, but like there's grace and there's love, man. That's what the Bible's about. Yes, but a lot of what Jesus is teaching his disciples is how to be disciplined, how to uh, love the word, how to love him, how to love others around. And that doesn't come just by happenstance. It comes through work 
and discipline. And so we don't want to push the pendulum so far over here where it's legalism, where you must do this to be a Christian. That's not what we're saying. But as we're following Christ and teaching others to follow Christ, there are disciplines along the way that we can implement. So um, there's 11 that we're covering over the summer. By no means are you going to hit all 11 this year. Our prayers as we're going through these and kind of just giving a 10,000 foot view of each of these disciplines, that by the end of this summer, you'll pick two, three, or four that the Lord has really laid on your heart and try to apply them and try to live it out. Uh, but here's the other caveat before we get started. How, percentage-wise, how many people finish their New Year's resolutions? Anyone know? I mean, start a New Year's resolution, resolution and actually finish it the entire year. Just curious, has anyone in this room ever done that? I just put 100%, right? That's, that's my goal. Yeah, 8% which is a little higher than I thought it would have been. 8% of people that start with a discipline at the beginning of the year finish it. So we all know that as we're going into these disciplines that it's going to be hard and you're going to fail and it's never going to work like you think it's going to work. And that's good and that's right. But that doesn't mean we should quit, that we should keep trying and keep pursuing. So um, if you have a Bible, flip with me to Joshua. We're gonna, we've been so much in Luke in the New Testament, we're going to go back to the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible around you, there should be some on the ground littered around, or if you've got a smartphone, you can download that as well. Um, Joshua, we're going to pick it up in chapter 1. So um, as, as you're flipping, let me just be honest for a second, because yes, we went to the beach, and we went camping, and like, it, I don't want to stand up here and be the Facebook, you know, like where everything was so great, and look at us. So I, in, in all transparency, I will share the worst moment of our vacation, just so that you can trust me. Sound good? But here's the rule. As you're flipping to Joshua, that you can't judge me for this. Like, I'm being an open book. We've got to be an open book together. Deal? All right, so driving back from the beach, uh, again, Carolee, our strong-willed one-year-old, um, said mama probably 15 million times, um, just in the stretch of Hilton Head to Augusta. Um, we were so excited to go see Augusta. Augusta is awful. Anyone from Augusta? No offense, but I don't go through Augusta. Like, we were so like, yeah, let's go out of our way to go through Augusta and got to Augusta. And it's like, this is the biggest buzzkill ever. Um, yes, I'm a pastor. I can say buzzkill. It's okay. Um, so get to Augusta, get into Chick-fil-A, which like, who has a bad experience with Chick-fil-A? It's never happened to me until this day. So I can just still, you know, like when the, the, you hear something so long that it's just still ringing in your ear. So I can just still hear, mama, 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 mama. So I'm just... Yes, very, a little stressed. Get in Chick-fil-A, order our food. Um, the peach milkshake just came out, and the brother's already out of peach milkshake. So I ordered it. Oh, no, sir, we don't have those. And there's just that blank stare like, uh, someone's going to die. Because this, <laughs> this just came out. Look at my body weight, bro. We need a peach milkshake. What can you do? I can't do anything. Um, ordered a kid's meal that we always ordered. Every kid's, uh, but they couldn't do it there, whatever. So long story short, we get to our seat. Um, they bring out all the drinks and everything for us, and there's a kid's water missing. We've got four kids. I don't know why. Four kids, three sprites came out. And so I just said, sir, and he's an old gentleman, like the Mr. Jim that runs around here, Mr. Bill. Like, he's that guy, which I just feel awful now for. But I said, sir, we don't, we're missing a kid's water. Can, can you get a kid's water for us? So here's how the, the rest of the part went. And keep in mind, we already had three kids, Sprite. Sprite and water look very similar. So um, and one of my pet peeves, I just hate being like, called a liar or even assuming that I'm a liar. I feel like I have good character. I'm not going to lie to you, so I'm not lying to this guy. And so he said, oh, it's right there. I said, no, sir, that's a Sprite. So he keeps kind of perusing the table. And 
oh, it's right there. I'm like, good gracious, are we going to do this for every Sprite? Uh, no, sir, that's a Sprite. Can I just get a kid's water? Oh, it's right there. And by this time, I'm like, okay, you've just pointed out every kid's Sprite that's on the table. So I slam my hands on the table and one motion stand up. I'm sure if I could go back, all of Chick-fil-A looked at me and I said, I'm not lying. It's just a water. I'll get it. Oh, sir, I'm, I'm so sorry. And so like, I'll just start hee-hauling up to the front, like <laughs> creating a whole scene inside Chick-fil-A. And yes, this is a pastor happening here. Um, <laughs> And so, like, he's like, oh, no, I'll go get it. And I'm like, no, I'm standing my butt right here in this line. Like, you go get your water and do what you want to do. I'm standing here for my. So as I look back, my beautiful bride is just staring at me. <laughs> just this glare that comes from a wife that can just stare at me. And in that moment, I'm like, I've gone too far. <laughs> like, I am fighting in Chick-fil-A over a kid's water. I have gone too far. But it all happened just from a look from my wife that totally centered me. And so what we're going to see in Scripture is this centering moment that happens for Joshua, that within one moment he can just be re-centered just by looking. Just as I looked at my wife, Joshua is going to be re-centered. And for us, then we're going to spend the rest of this morning figuring out how quickly um, through Scripture we can just be re-centered. So Joshua, we're going to pick it up in chapter 1, or chapter 1, verse 1. So I'm going to read a couple verses and then just kind of teach our way through to help us get to how we can be recentered. Joshua 1, pick it up, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over to Jordan, you and all the people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. So, kind of going back real quick, Moses, we kind of might be all familiar with the story of Moses, but Moses is the ones that took the Israelite people out of slavery, went to Pharaoh, said, let my people go. Uh, Moses is also the man that killed um, one of the Pharaoh government guards with his bare hands, just to remember, like, that God can use anyone through this process. Um, so, takes the people into the promised land, he gets the Ten Commandments, um, comes back down from the mountain, all the people are already worshiping idols, it's because they didn't have enough patience to wait for Moses to come down from meeting with God at the bottom of the mountain. Um, so he's taking all these people to the promised land who um, they're just a bunch of complainers, right? Like there's literally manna falling from heaven, the water is being provided, and they're still saying it's not good enough. So Moses has put up with these people um, trying to be faithful leader for years and years and years, and then he dies without actually going into the promised land. And now it's Joshua's turn. So all these troubles and tribulations and trials that Joshua, who's Moses' right-hand man, has seen Moses go through, now it's his turn. Now we can just kind of take a snapshot in that. We all have seen that, like I would never want my boss's job, I would never want this guy's job. Well, Joshua in an instant just got his boss's job. We'll keep reading verse 3. Every place that the sole of your feet will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river Euphrates, in the land of the Hittites, and the great sea towards going, uh, sorry, towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Verse five, and no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. So there's so much responsibility that's coming down Joshua's pipeline. So he's not fearful. He's not anxious or angry like I was angry at this Chick-fil-A old man. Um, the closest I've ever, I'm, I, I was going to say closest I've ever come to hitting an old man. I wasn't going to hit him. I was just going to get a water just to be clarified. I, I did think about it. But, so Joshua isn't angry. Joshua is anxious. 
Now, those are kind of the two extremes, right? Like we either go from angry to anxiousness. So who's like anger in here? Anyone else or just me? Like angry comes really natural for you. Okay, I know that, there we go. I was waiting for a lady to raise her hand. Thank you, Sarah. I know like I've experienced some ladies' wrath in this room. I know it's here. Now, on the other side, who is the anxious? Right, so these are the two extremes, the angry and the anxious. And so um, in my anger, I was centered, but through Joshua's anxiety, he's gonna be centered. Let's keep reading the end of verse five. Just as I was with Moses, God is saying this to Joshua, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Verse six, be strong and courageous for you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to the fathers and give them, to give them. Verse seven, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may have success wherever you go. So I mean, this is God just being graceful, graceful to Joshua going, listen, you've got this. Be strong, be courageous. Don't look to the left or the right. Just focus on me. You've got this. But verse eight is where all of this starts to come together. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. So you, shall, you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then, if you meditate on it, for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So all these promises that God is laying out to Joshua, be strong, be courageous, don't forget, I'm here, I'm with you, I'm leading you. But here's how you don't forget, meditate on it, sit on it, meditate on it. So the discipline that we're covering uh, probably for the next 10 minutes, and then as weird as this is going to be, we're going to practice some meditation here, um, is, is simply meditation. That through scripture, we see this littered all throughout scripture, but meditation is a major discipline that will lead to a godly life. So we see throughout scripture, this word meditation is used 58 times in, in the Old and New Testament. So this isn't some like one-off thought. This is something that God wants us to do. He longs for us to do. Um, Bonhoeffer, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who was a martyr for the faith back through World War II, um, died underneath the Nazi regime. Uh, when someone asked him, why do you meditate? His answer was, because I'm a Christian. I meditate because I'm a Christian. There's another a theologian that says, true contemplation is not a psychological trick, but a theological grace. So true meditation, through true contemplation, is not, a theolo- or is not a psychological trick, but rather a theological grace. So when we talk about meditation, what we're talking about is that moment that I locked eyes with my wife and everything started to look different. Because we can be angry or anxious, we can be worried or fearful, all the stuff that can be going on with our lives. So if we just stop and sit and meditate, and we'll explain a little bit about what it looks like, that is the quickest way through Scripture for God to recenter us back to what's really happening. Because, I mean, you guys have to admit, with the rise of social media, with the rise of news and 24-7 news stations, we feel like the world's ending today. I mean, that is the way that any newscast wants you to believe is you're going to die, watch us more, right? I mean, that's just the world that we lived in. Every news is coming out left and right. And the other fact is I, I know most of us, and I know that a lot of us are going through really, really hard times. So there's this false idea that the world's going to end today because of this and that. But then the other side of it is life is just hard. 
And so we need this recentering as quickly as possible. But there's just an idea of Christianity being really adverse to the idea of meditation. And I did a lot of research to try to figure out, because even me, I mean, we, we <laughs> does anyone know like what's happening with like the hippie uh, rainbow like, coming in? Okay, have y'all guys heard this? Surely, go on, say what you want in Delonica, and you can read all you want about it. Um, the, the hippies are setting up shop in the Chattahoochee National Forest, um, and, and everyone's going to die. That's basically is what, say what you want in Delonica wants you to believe. Um, so, like, when you think of meditation, like, we, we automatically go there. Like, yeah, man, let's, like, get some weed and sit around and, like, get happy and meditate and dream. Uh, but we're going to cover that's not the extreme, but, but even there, there's a bigger, sur- a bigger problem underneath the surface is that we really don't think that we can communicate with God. I mean, you can see this through the rise of the Catholic Church, that we need a mediator to, to go confess our sins to that's going to go between us and God. But can we actually have a conversation with God? Can we actually relate to God? Can we actually talk to and hear back from God? And the majority of us would say, yeah, theoretically, yes. Practically, I don't even know what that means. Like, I understand the fact that God does speak, but he's never spoken to me. I understand the fact that he longs to speak to me, but I don't really know what that means. And so through meditation, we get to experience this Genesis 1 and 2 idea that God is speaking to us and that we can speak to him. That before sin entered and disrupted everything, meditation takes us back to this idea that that we can communicate with him and he is communicating with us. That there is a way for us to speak to our Father. And we have to understand uh, that all throughout Scripture, God is not speaking to his people based on their abilities, but he's speaking to them because of his love for them. So as we walk into this process of meditation, don't think that men of only good enough Christians are going to hear from the Lord. Because Moses killed a man with his bare hands. Anyone done that? So if Moses was the one that brought the Ten Commandments down from the mountain, from God to the people, and he was a murderer, I think we're okay. Can we all just agree to that assumption? All right, so let's start getting to some of the brass sacks of, of what do we mean then when we, say, um, when we say meditation. So if you have your Bible, flip over to Psalm 119 for me. We're going to see some examples through the Psalms of what he's meditating on, what the psalmist is meaning when he says meditation. Psalms 119. Pick it up in verse 48. We'll read verse 48 and then read verse 97. Psalm 119, verse 48. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I might meditate on your promise. So before the sun is rising, this psalm is saying, I'm getting up before that to meditate on what? On your promise. On the fact that you love me and you're never going to leave me, you're never going to forsake me, that you are my God and I am your child. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Oh, how I love the commands that you've given us because these aren't worrisome, these aren't burdensome. You've given this to us so that we can have a true and fulfilled life. You're telling us don't go this way and don't go that way. Keep your eyes set on me. I'm gonna meditate on what you've told me because you told me this because you loved me. Flip all the way back to Psalms chapter one, the very first one. Psalm 1, one through, mean, one through 3, excuse me. 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. So the man or woman that meditates on the word of God day and night is like a tree planted by the streams. That he's not searching for the truth. I mean, the roots that are right next to the rivers. I mean, have you guys ever walked next to a stream or to a river and not seen beautiful foliage? Not seen just the most green, beautiful trees, the mountain laurels, and I mean, all that right next to the streams. Why? Because there's always water there. There's always growth coming from there. Their roots aren't having to search far to get to the water that they needed. It's right there at their feet. Well, not feet, but roots. Trees don't have feet. Um, so as we're thinking about this, we, we see this idea of meditation all through Scripture. And we see the benefits of it being um, that we're always going to be near the source of life. That if we can recenter ourselves through meditation, what we're doing is we're coming back to the streams. We're coming back to the source of life that God has given us, which is his word for us. So let me, let me take a step real fast because I think that, that again, as we start to press in on meditation, um, the, the idea of the Eastern culture starts to come in, the idea of like, well, that's what like uh, Buddhists do, that's what hippies do, that's what, but there's no idea, there's no room for meditation within Christianity. And, and let me kind of uh, um, dialogue there for a second because I, at first I agree, like when I thought meditation, I'm like, hmm, like, that's a little strange. What do you mean by that? But, but within the Eastern society, what many other religions would push is that meditation is a way for us to um, unfill our mind. It's a way for us to veg out for our mind to be open for any kind of possibilities. But I would argue based on scripture that Christianity meditation is a way not to empty our mind, but to fill our mind. It's a way for us to truly listen. It's a way for us to truly dialogue, to truly um, wrestle with the text uh, that we're seeing. Detachment is the goal of Eastern religion through meditation, but our goal is attachment. That we're not trying to detach uh, from anything. We're trying to attach to the beautifulness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing through the process of meditation is, yes, we're detaching from the world, but not just to stay there, but to solely attach to those that is Christ. And we see, and I'm going to read John 5. You don't have to flip there. Um, we see how this affects Jesus. And John 5, 19 says this. Jesus said to them, the disciples, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees his father do. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. And then he says it again in verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the one who sent me. So that is what the process of meditation looks like, is for us to detach from the world just to attach ourselves to Christ and know his will for us. That if Jesus is saying, I can't do anything on my own power, I can only do what God is telling me to do, that the way we have to do that is through meditation. It's through pondering, through wrestling with the world, or the word, because the world is so loud. And there, I, I, I get it, I understand our schedules are incredibly busy. My wife and I always talk about like just how things just seem to keep going and keep going and, and how hard it is just to stop. And even just to have a date night just between my wife and I, even much more how much is it for us to sit in silence for 10, 20, 30 minutes and just to meditate on 
But we see Jesus withdrawing often, going away from the crowds so they can hear clearly from the voice of his father. So we see this picture in Revelation 3, which we don't have to flip there, uh, but a lot of people have said like, listen, uh, here, if you want to become a Christian, that, that Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart waiting for you to open. And this imagery they're coming from is Revelation 3.20, where he stands at the door of your heart knocking. But what we often kind of overlook is that in Revelation, John is writing that to who? To the church. So this, he's not writing this to a group of non-believers saying, please, that Jesus wants to come into your heart. You've got to open the door of your heart for him to come in. No, he's writing it to a church. He's writing to a group of believers saying, listen, God desperately wants to speak to you, but you're not slowing down enough to listen. And I would argue in our culture, that's totally where we are. That through meditation, that is the only way for us to slow down and stop and to listen to what God is desperately wanting to speak to us. But we have to stop. We have to slow down. And one of the easiest ways to do this we th- see through Scripture is to meditate. And this is where just, I mean, let me make a few more distinctions before we kind of practice this and let it be weird for the first time. Detachment, going into meditation, is a little different than typical Bible study. And here, here's what I mean. Uh, I am all for like, deep study of the Scripture to wrestle with, to understand, um, to marinate on uh, what does this word actually mean and as we properly exegete the Greek and the Hebrew and how they align together. I'm all for that. Don't get me wrong. Don't hear me say that that's not a part of the Christian disciplines that we have. But here what we're talking about is taking a, taking a passage and saying, God, what do you have from this passage for me today. It's not the process of exegeting it. Uh, here's a, another quote from Bonhoeffer that I think explains this point well. Um, just as you don't analyze the words of someone you love, but accept them just as they are said to you, accept the words of Scripture and ponder it in your heart as Mary did. So through the process of, of meditation, um, what we're doing is we're taking scripture and meditating on it, thinking through it, processing on it, just the way that it is. God, what are you trying to speak to me from this? So a, a couple kind of frameworks for us. Um, just, just some real practical, what does it mean to meditate? Uh, never meditate apart from this. So what we're meditating on is scripture. So that's where it starts. So whenever you sit down to meditate, to to create silence, to hear from the Lord, the first and foremost thing is is take this. And I've known guys that will take scripture and meditate on one word of that a day. So it might take them six, six or seven days or even longer to meditate through one scripture because one day they're just gonna meditate on what is, is. That's a weird sentence, isn't it? I mean, define what is, not like the Bill Clinton thing, but like what is, is, right? Like that we're going to just meditate, God, what are you speaking to me through this? Now just my cards on the table, I can't do that. My, my brain is too, uh, I, I can't meditate on, on one word. But, but pick a scripture, pick a, uh, who has the Bible app on their phone? Okay, did you know that through the Bible app that you can hit any scripture you want and within two clicks, I can show you how to do it, uh, it can create a, a wallpaper for your phone. So every time that you go to look at your phone, you can have scripture right there, the, the passage of scripture that you're meditating on, um, that not only in the moments of silence can you meditate on it, but every time you look at your phone, that same scripture is going to be there for the entire day, week, or month, however you choose to decide. Uh, the other thing I would say was what stirs your affections up for the Lord and try to do it there. So I think a lot of people would say, you have to meditate in complete silence. I'm going to be asleep. Anyone else? 
All right, so worship, a good worship that Matt has turned me on to. Um, I have to meditate in that or just being in nature. I mean, I am a, uh, I hope this doesn't offend anyone, but I am a huge deer hunter. I love to go hunt, but part of that process is you get to watch the sun come up in the morning, you get to watch the sun go down at night. And you're sitting there, you have to be silent, you have to be still, and there's not much other to do than to meditate. That's one of the main reasons I love deer hunting and I enjoy killing things. But um, that aside, it is a perfect time because this, the outdoors, just stirs my affection for the Lord. Just seeing that you cannot, well, for me, I cannot sit outside in his creation and not wonder how he created this. I mean, it just naturally brings me into posture of recentering that something bigger is going on here uh, because there, there's no way this is just happenstance. Here's one quote that just kind of messed me up a little bit this week. The contemplation of the saints or the meditation of the saints is fired by the love of the one contemplated, that is God. So the reason that we're meditating, that we're contemplating on scripture is because of the love of Christ, because of how big and powerful he is, that we cannot just read a book and understand his character and nature, that we have to sit and chew and marinate on it. Now, the Quakers have this really interesting way of doing this. So this is where the process is going to start. So if you have anything in your hands, put it down real quick as this gets uh, weird. Just embrace the weirdness. Um, so I want you to take all your hands, all two of them. <laughs> if you have more, man, you're, fine. you're welcome here. And just put them palms down on your lap. Put them palms down on your lap, Okay. And so here's just, we're going to, just one quick practice. Um, so close your eyes with me. And palms down is a symbolic indication of your desire to turn over any concerns or fears that you have. Whatever is weighing you down, whatever is concerning you, whatever you're fearful of or anxious of, with your palms down, this is just a way for us to have our mind cleared and to confess all that's going on in our hearts right now. So just take a few moments as we're just in the silence with your palms down, just to release everything that you're worried, fearful of, and let the phrase of uh, God speaking to Joshua, that he's with us always, just permeate through this time. Now, as that time's coming through, keep your eyes closed and just flip your hands over. And now that you've released all of your fear and worries and anxieties to the Lord, with your hands over as a, a symbol of open hands, ask and plead with the Lord that he would speak to you, that he would draw near to you, that your posture is open for him to speak. And just spend a few moments praying that he would.
Now there again, with, with your eyes closed, I'm just explain what's gonna happen over the next few minutes and at your own pace, whenever you want, just, just go with it. But um, we end uh, the services with communion. This is a time for us just to um, admit and remember all that Christ has done for us, that, that what he told his disciples in that upper room uh, on the last night of his life still rings true, that, that he has given us his body, which is broken for us, and that is represented by, his, by the bread. And uh, he spilled out his blood for us, and that's represented by the juice. And he did all of that so that we can become sons and daughters to him, that through that there's been reconciliation, that there's no other way for us to be redeemed other than Christ dying on the cross for our sins. So we're gonna have 1 Peter 2, 24 uh, up on the wall behind me and it says simply this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So we're gonna turn the lights back off so you can see that scripture behind us. And, and now that we've released all of the fears and worries to over to God and that we've asked God to speak to us, we're just gonna meditate for the next uh, few moments just on that passage. And the band's gonna come back up in a few minutes and we're gonna continue in worship. But, but once you feel uh, that the Lord has spoken to you or if it would help you in this process to meditate, communion's gonna be open behind us. And we're just gonna think and ponder and consider and pray what does it mean that by his wounds we have been healed? What does it mean that he spilt his body and his blood for us so that we can become sons and daughters? So um, the scripture is going to be on the screen. Uh, Matt's going to start just picking for us a little bit. And uh, whenever you guys are ready for communion, we'll take communion together and, and we'll continue on.